to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog owners. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I hope to give you a fresh outlook on your dog's behavior and practical dog training advice. Ladies and gentlemen, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. So I have a special guest with me, and um, we have been Instagram friends for a while now, so I'm pretty excited to connect with her in, you know, quote-unquote, real life via Zoom. Um, So Ashley, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, tell us where you are, tell us what you do. Cool. So I am Ashley Gribble. I'm the owner of Urban Tales up here in Kamloops, beautiful Kamloops, British Columbia in Canada. Um, I've been doing this for 12 years now. I started way back in 2008, and what I do is I take um, groups of off-leash dogs on beautiful, natural adventure hikes. Seriously, following you on Instagram makes me so happy, and I think something that connected us, like, early on when we met on Instagram was you made like a reference to how you never make dogs pose for pictures. And I was like, hallelujah. Right. So um, so can you just tell my listeners a little bit more about that? Right. Because I feel like for a lot of times people do things for the Instagram with their dogs and I have so much respect for you, how you don't ask that of dogs. So can you tell us more about that? Yeah, absolutely. I um I never I don't like making the dogs do things just to benefit me. I just don't see the point in that. And I see a lot of people who quite frankly do it for the gram. They do these crazy group poses and making the dogs do group downs for excessive periods of time and I just don't see the value in that. I would much rather Let's my, I mean, my motto speaks for itself. It's where dogs get to be dogs. And that's what I want them to do is be dogs. Don't worry about having to sit all the time or having to stay. Just be natural. Enjoy the environment. And I'll take pictures of that. I'll take pictures of them enjoying themselves. And if I happen to get some shots of them all sitting in a cute group when they're doing a natural break, cool. But if not, I'm not focused. That's not my, that's not my end goal is not to do things just to look good or just for me. It has to be for them. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like so many people listening are celebrating what you're saying. They're like cheering you on as they're listening. Like, yes, oh my God, what she said. And I think that there's, there's, you know, letting dogs do dog stuff. Like we, we preach it and we talk about it, but I think that for some time, sometimes people get intimidated by that. And I think that, you know, I think that living in Colorado and you being in British Columbia, and I know a lot of my listeners do a lot of hiking and adventuring. And I, and I feel like oftentimes it, it feels intimidating letting a dog be a dog with like the potential for like wildlife encounters and, and running off and stuff like that. And, um, you know, you've been doing this for a long time. Have you always been doing it with dogs off leash? Did you start with them on leash? Always off leash. No. I was always off leash, um, kind of crazy that way, I guess, from certain people's perspective. It was wildly, like, skepticized up here. Like, people were like, what do you mean you take dogs off leash? Like, what are you doing, lady? And I just, 
I had my own dogs and I immediately saw the benefit of it. And I was like, you know what? There's so many dogs that are on these tiny little leashes and they don't get to just use their nose, just a completely natural thing. And they don't get to do it. And I just, I saw the benefits of it. And so I wanted to do that. I did start off in like dog parks and more enclosed areas. Um, but I quickly learned that dog parks, quite frankly, aren't a great place to go. Um, there's a lot of people who don't have knowledge of dog behavior and basic body language. So it's kind of a hot spot for encounter, like negative encounters I found. Um, and so I try to go places where I'm not going to run into other people and their dogs because I can have control over my own dogs and my group of dogs, but I can't predict what other people's dogs are going to do. So it's much easier to just be off leash in the woods, quite frankly. Yeah, seriously. Okay. So can you give my listeners just a little bit more context to that? So like, tell us about, um, the groups of dogs. So like, how do you manage that? Like, first of all, how many dogs will you hike with? Um, anywhere between usually four and up to 10. Um, right now with COVID, I've kind of been running a nice seven or eight, which is kind of my sweet spot. I really like that number. Um, but I do go up to 10 on some, on some days, just depends on the group. I do um, a meet and greet and a trial beforehand with my own dogs. So I kind of gauge how the dogs are. Everybody is on a long line to begin with, um, just so I can have, you know, that backup. Um, and then we do a trial and I see how they respond to me. I see what their natural behavior is. And then I pick the group that's best suited for them. I always tell my clients, you can kind of give me an idea of what day you would like, but it's going to ultimately be what's best for your dog and what group they fit into. And then if a dog doesn't even fit into the group, then I will happily tell a client that it's not a good idea for them um, because I have to have that relationship with the dog and I need to be able to connect with the dog and see that they can connect with other dogs, but still connect with me. I think that that's something that I'm sure in your years doing it, like you got better at like telling people like, no, your dog's actually not a good fit. Absolutely. It really, <laughs> it probably took me up till about two years to go, two years ago to really get comfortable with it. Um, for a long time, I would take on dogs and it just wouldn't work out. And then I would have to deal with that later on down the road. And so now I've gotten to a point where it's like, no, like I, I know what I'm doing now. and I know what's best for the dogs. And if it's not going to work for them, that's not fair to them to put them into those situations. And it's not fair to put the other dogs in the group into a situation with a dog who's just not comfortable. So it's better off for them in the long run um, to just not do it if that's the way it is. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So in the groups, right? So obviously you want the dogs to be like good with each other, but when you say the dog being able to connect with you, can you give more context to that for the listeners, right? Like, what does that look like? You want them to be responsive to you, looking to you, like, define that more. Yeah. Yeah. So when I do a trial, um, I try not to put a lot of um, expectations on the dogs. I don't do a lot of, like, focused recall where I'm actively recalling them a lot. I'll do a little bit to see how they do respond. But what I'm really looking for is those auto checks. I really like dogs that just have that desire to just, hey, what are you doing, Ashley? Like, what, what are you doing? What, can I come see you? And I want those dogs to just naturally want to be with me, but also, of course, still enjoy the dogs. Um, and then usually by their second time, that's when I'm doing more of the recall to see what level of recall they have in regards to distraction. Some dogs are better off to start, and some dogs need a little more work and a little more encouragement. 
Um, and so the connection is just, I want them to want to be with me as much as they want to be with the dog. Yeah, absolutely. And like all the listeners to this podcast hear me sing the praises of auto check-ins, right? Like just a dog who naturally wants to know what's going on with you. And then um, can you tell my listeners what you're using as reinforcements, food and otherwise to reinforce they do it more? Yes. I am a big, big cookie pusher treat pusher like I am snack leader mama like I want your dog to know that I am all good things we're gonna go do adventures we're gonna get lots of affection and we're gonna get the best snacks ever so I have no problem um being I just saw your post today actually about being generous and I am extremely generous with dogs I reward heavily and I reward often because then they learn that I'm good stuff and they get good stuff when they're near me. And it's less likely that they're going to venture off on their own or be more distracted. They're easier to recall. They're easier to maintain connection with me. Um, and it just works better. So I use a variety of treats. I generally bring three different levels of rewards. So I'll have like my basic reward that I'm sort of dishing out for the auto check-ins for you know, little things, like if a dog happens to um, offer me a a pose on a rock, I have some dogs who naturally want to jump on things. Um, So I use like a basic, I'll use maybe cheese or like hot dogs are really popular. I'll use the store-bought like freeze-dried liver, but I do find that dogs aren't as responsive to treats that I buy from the store. So I'm more likely to use human rewards. Um, And then I do always carry what I call my emergency high-level rewards. So those are things for really high level distractions. So things like wildlife, dirt bikes, um, other people, anything like that. I'll carry the really good stuff. So like fresh chicken breast, that kind of stuff. Um, because the dogs deserve to be paid well. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure that you find plenty of oppor- high distracting opportunities to dispense those rewards too. I do, absolutely. Absolutely. We, we definitely have, um, it's, it's an ever changing environment on the hike. I can go to the same location and have a completely different hike the next day that I did the day before. Um, so there's always, there's always distractions of varying levels and it just, that's where the connection with the dog comes in handy as well. Um, I work really hard on building that trust with the dog so that they, they want to come with me. Even if I don't have the food, they're still going to want to come with me because they trust me and they know that I'm kind and they know that it's a good thing when they come to me. Yeah, absolutely. So in your groups, do you have dogs who have been with you for years and years? Yes, I really do. I try. That's my pride and joy is having dogs that are with me for years. Um, I, have my longest client currently um she's 14 years old and she's been with me for 12 years um so she hikes with me three days a week still she used she started out in the really young groups and gradually moved through the ranks and now she's up in the senior strolls um up until about a year ago i had more clients that i'd had since i started but unfortunately with old age they of course eventually do cross the bridge um, and pass away which is the sad part about this job um But yeah, I really strive for those long-term clients. I have a very low turnover rate, um, and I'm very proud of that. 
I have a very long wait list and I'm very proud of that as well. Um, I prefer to have dogs that are just, I call them my veteran crews. So I just want dogs that are with me and they know the, they know the ropes, they know what's up. The shortest client that I have right now is, I think she's about six months in now. Um, and she's my newest one, but everybody else is about at the five year mark at this point. That's so beautiful, right? Because that reinforcement history just builds over the years, right? So it becomes, Absolutely. I'm sure, more and more effortless as they understand the reinforcement history and they understand that coming back to you is amazing. Dude, that's so freaking cool. And, you know, I think something that's, that's so beautiful about the service that you offer is that I feel like you are the bridge for like dogs who otherwise would be a mismatch for their families. Absolutely. Yeah, I have a lot of dogs that are, um, <laughs> quite frankly, their owners probably shouldn't have those particular breeds. Um, things like border collies and townhouses and, you know, um, healers with, you know, crazy amounts of children. And it's just, you know, they need those outlets. They need the extra balance in their life. They need, um, they need the opportunity for the enrichment and the socialization and just getting to use their brains and getting to explore the environment. And they otherwise wouldn't get that opportunity in a lot of their lives. Yeah. And I find that that's been a lot of my career too, is like being a part of like a dog's team that like without that team, the dog would not be successful in their current home. Absolutely. Yeah. I definitely like describing myself as being part of their team, being part of their family. Um, and I work hard on that as well. I try to be, um, you know, as helpful as I can to the owners um, and working with them on what, what's best for their dog and what, what can help them uh, live better lives with their dogs. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I, I don't know if you want to share a little bit about this, but do you feel like the service that you offer and like the, the reinforcement history of coming back and responding to recalls, have you gotten feedback from like the humans that that's translating to like their hiking and, and other aspects of their lives? Oh, 100%. I get told probably weekly from my clients, like, oh, my God, Ashley, this is, you know, night and day with my dog. I don't know what I would do if I didn't have you. I can hike my dogs off leash now, and they're fantastic. I didn't even have to train them to be off leash because you've done it. Like, it's, I love hearing that, that it translates, and I love hearing that owners can trust their dogs off leash and take them places that other people can't because they know they have that reinforcement history. And it's just, it's there and it translates. And I just love that owners get that freedom too. And that it not only benefits their dogs, but also benefits their relationship with their dogs. Well, and like the, the possibilities, right? Like the world that opens for them that otherwise wouldn't be there. Yeah, absolutely. It's a much different experience walking your dog off leash in a park than it is walking your dog on leash on the sidewalk, fighting with them to you know, walk properly. It's, you know, it's much better for the owners and it's better for the dogs. And I just like giving them that opportunity and helping them achieve that. Yeah, because it's, it's such a beautiful thing, you know, and like the listeners of this podcast have heard me preach about like, you know, off leash, decompression walk, whatever you want to call it. Right. But yeah. the, the ripple effects, right. In the dog's life, when they get the opportunity to truly express who they are free of restraint of a leash. Absolutely. And every dog is different in what they find reinforcing about the natural world. And it's great when you give your dogs the opportunity to figure that out. 
because a lot of dogs don't know. I've taken quite a few dogs, but I call them city dogs because they just quite frankly have no idea what they're doing in the woods. Like they come across a log across the trail and they're like, how do I do this? Like you have to go over the log. And I can't tell you how many dogs I've had to teach to just go over the log. Like it's, and then trying to figure out like what they like. Like, do you like to dig? Do you like to chew sticks? Do you like to swim? Would you rather just sniff everything for 20 minutes on one branch? Like what's your, what's, what's reinforcing for your dog? And that's part of what it is, is getting to figure that out. Yeah, that is amazing. Okay. So, um, I know you have a ton of experience with this, so I want to hear, um, I want to hear first and foremost. So, okay. So let's talk about wildlife. Okay. Because I know that that's, that's a huge concern and worry for people. And I think, you know, in some ways it should be, but you have so much experience. So I want to hear from you first about, um, what do you do to try to mitigate the impact of the dogs, like on wildlife? Like, how do you handle that? Do you handle that? Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely do. So there's varying stages of wildlife on an off-leash hike, right? So you've got everything from birds to squirrels to deer to the more intense wildlife like bears or coyotes. Um, and so I try to start with, well, actually, even in our case, we have a lot of cattle around here as well. So I also include cows with wildlife, even though they're not technically wildlife. Um, but I work really hard on first, obviously, setting up that, that consistent recall, because um, that's really important to set them up for success if we do come across wildlife. The second thing that I really focus on is prevention, because that's better than getting into the encounter in the first place. So I'm constantly observing the environment. I'm constantly looking for um, birds flying out of the grass because that can always indicate a nest. Um, things like wildlife sounds, tracks. And as we go, I'll adjust the trail. If I notice that there's fresh deer tracks on the trail, we'll go a different way. If I notice that there's, you know, bear tracks in the area or fresh bear um, scats, um, I will, you know, move that, we'll move away from that as well. Um, if we do see wildlife, then it becomes, how do I say it? It becomes, I try to use it as a reinforcement opportunity. So if we come across wildlife, we will leave the area as quickly as possible while reinforcing heavily. Um, and so that includes rodents. So if I see the dogs are going, are really, really into say a squirrel in a tree, I might give them a few minutes to engage in that behavior before I take them out of it. Because if you're practicing the behavior with the smaller wildlife, it will translate to the higher wildlife. So I know a lot of people like to let their dogs chase squirrels. You know, a lot of people think it's really, really harmless, but I have found that just doing that can increase the likelihood of a prey drive for a deer. Um, so while it's nice to let them engage in the natural behavior, I'll let them do it for a little bit as a reward. And then we come back to me to leave the area to keep that reinforcement of wildlife, not something that we chase. If that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, that totally makes that. That totally makes sense. And I think, you know, I think that there, there's definitely this debate, right? About like dogs harassing wildlife. And like, you know, I think that Obviously, we're, we're doing our best to mitigate negative impact to wildlife, but to your point, right, like there's still that natural instinct. So I like that boundary you, you set, right? Like, okay, 
a little bit and then we're going to move on and I'm going to make it reinforcing just to move on. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, like wildlife encounters do happen. Um, sometimes there's not much you can do about it as far as encountering wildlife. Um, I can give an example as recently as Thursday. For the first time in 12 years, we came across a skunk. Never had that experience in my life. Um, and it was in the bushes. I didn't even see it. A dog happened to see it first. The dog barked. The skunk sprayed. It was terrible. But then we moved on. The dogs did not chase it. I went the other way and managed to get the dogs to follow me because they know that I'm more reinforcing. So that's one of my favorite tricks to use is quite frankly, is just to like beeline the opposite way. So I will happily turn around and blow my whistle and make it super cool coming with me. And nine times out of the 10, they want to come with me because they know that that's where the good stuff happens. Yeah. And, and just to kind of circle back to what you were talking about of like watching for tracks and scat. Like, I think that that's something that's missing from like the adventure dog conversation very often. Right. Is yes. that like as the human, it's up to you to be savvy about watching and observing your environment. Right. And like that, to be honest, that's not something that like I was very good at. Right. was like, okay, these are fresh tracks. These are old tracks. What does this scat belong to? And I think that that's yeah. something that like, if, if all of you beautiful people listening, if you really want to be sac- successful hiking with your dog off leash in the woods, you have to have that skill set. You can't go without it. Yes. That I love teaching people about the wildlife. You need to see, you need to hear, you need to know what's going on while you're hiking because your dogs are your responsibility. And if you get into a situation with an encounter with wildlife, it's usually the human's fault, quite frankly. Um, and so, yeah, it's really important to, to know those signs, even things from like turned over rocks and logs. That's a really common sign of bears. Like it's really important to pick up on these things. And it's one of my pet peeves when I see people walking with like headphones in their ears or they're on their phone constantly. And I'm like, you're missing so much of the story about what's going on with you. So how can you, how can you keep your dog safe if you're not quite frankly paying attention? So it's super important to know those things and then you can avoid not, most of the encounters that you can think of, you will avoid. Yeah. And the other big thing, noise. a lot of people don't make a lot of noise when they hike. Um, or again, they've got their headphones in and they're not really conscious of what they're doing out there. And they're kind of just letting their dogs, mosey around and that's not really the goal of what we should be doing hiking should be observational more than anything yeah absolutely so um, what so what are you doing to make noise I mean if you've got 10 dogs there's probably a certain level of noise that's just built into that I'm (laughs) sure and do you okay so really quickly before we talk about making noise do you feel like just the number of dogs do you feel like that works in your favor as far as like indicating to wildlife that you're present Yes, for the most part, the amount of dogs is enough to deter the majority of wildlife. Um, Deer tend to hear us coming very, very quickly um, and take off out of the area. We don't get a lot of encounters with bears. They hear us long before we get near them. Um, Coyotes uh, off and on will come near us. Um, They're less. It depends on where they are in their territory. If we're closer to their den, um, they're a little more brazen about coming near that many dogs. But for the most part, just the level, the number of dogs is enough. 
um, and then the sound that the dogs make, like, I don't worry about them barking. I don't worry about them playing loudly. That's totally encouraged and totally fine. So they do make quite a bit of noise, but I also, if you've watched my videos, I'm almost always talking to the dogs. <laughs> I talk to them a lot. I have a lot of conversations with my crews. Um, and so that I love the dialogue. I love watching your stories. <laughs> well, sometimes, sometimes I watch other dog stories and like the walkers are completely silent. And I'm like, how are you quiet right now? Like, this is hilarious stuff. Like, I'm constantly laughing at the dogs if I'm not talking to them. Um, and then throughout the hike, what, what I'm doing when, you're, when I'm not filming is making a lot of noise. So I do do a lot of clapping. I do a lot of banging if we're in really tight trees. Um, I do a lot of whistling and I also have a saying that everybody always laughs at, but it's hooty who because, <laughs> because the O's um, in the phrase tend to carry quite quickly through the woods. So that's my go-to phrase. I'll sing that out quite loudly. The dogs think it's ridiculous. Um, and that's just what we do. And it makes a lot of noise and it carries much farther than anything else that I found. Nice. Yeah. And I think that that's something that I, I think too is missing, right? Like people not recognizing, like if you're making enough noise, most wildlife is going to avoid you. Absolutely. Yeah. Most wildlife want nothing to do with people, uh, even less to do with off-leash dogs. So yeah, if you're making enough noise, things are going to leave. They're going to go away because ultimately wildlife want to avoid our encounters. They don't want to be near us. People have this weird belief that wild animals are drawn to dogs or that wild animals um, want the encounters, particularly with coyotes. That's quite a common misconception is that coyotes are like out to take our dogs and nothing could be further from the truth. They want nothing to do with us. They want us to go away in most cases. So yeah, if we make enough noise, you won't have wildlife encounters or you'll radically decrease your likelihood of encounters. Yeah. So, um, okay. So on the cow, the coyote front. So, um, I watched your story. This was probably a few weeks ago and there were like coyotes, like howling in the distance. So can you tell my listeners about that and like how your experience in all of your hikes helped you understand like what that meant and that helped you inform what you did? Absolutely. So, Coyotes are a fun one um, <laughs> because they're very vocal and um, they can sound quite scary, but um, I, I worked really hard on educating myself on coyote behavior. Um, I think it's really important because of where I live, there are a lot of coyotes here. So I educated myself on their behavior and on their vocalization. So I'm able to sort of discern what's happening. Um, and so for that particular encounter, um, we had actually already come through that area once before, and we're actually on our way back. So I feel like the coyotes knew that we were already there um, and that they had a den in the area because they were quite loud and they were quite close to us. So in that, in that instance, I made the decision not to leash the dogs because we would have had to stop and I would have had to um, have everybody in very close contact with the coyotes. So it was much easier and safer for us to just keep moving out of the area. That particular crew um, had really good recall, so it was quite easy to just keep them moving. Um, you could actually see in the video, my one dog just like has a log in his mouth, like it's no big deal. He's like, yeah, we're just walking away from these coyotes, it's fine. Um, and so it's, it's, with coyotes, like nine times out of 10, 
they are vocalizing and following you to get you to leave. Um, it's a really common behavior called escorting, and that's all they want you to do is just get out of their territory. Um, and so it's important to know the behavior of the animals that you could encounter because that can help you decide what you're going to do, whether it's something you need to stand and defend against or something where you can just leave the area and avoid the encounter. I hope that answers that question. Yes, it does. Yeah, that's so good. Thank you for that answer. I think this is going to be super awesome for everyone listening. Okay, so um, I know that you have had, you know, a ton of wildlife encounters over the years. So um, I, I want to hear about the, the big one for sure. But can you just do maybe if you want to just like list off all of the wildlife you've encountered over the years? Oh, boy. Uh, what haven't we encountered? Um, over the years, we have encountered a number of animals. So everything from deer, uh, moose a few times. Um, we've also encountered uh, bears. We've encountered coyotes. We've encountered the skunk now. Um, and then of course we encounter birds all the time. Um, they're a little easier to mitigate from because they're usually on the water and it's just easier to distract the dogs from that. Um, but the big encounters have been the moose and the bears, those are probably the most troubling encounters that we've had. Um, deer like to flee, coyotes just want you to leave. Uh, bears for the most, we have had a lot of encounters with bears. Um, by encounters, I don't mean um, like situations that the dogs are readily involved in. Uh, I mean like we've seen them off in the distance or we've um, had them behind us in the distance, that kind of thing. Um, so we do come across them often enough, but um, every encounter aside from the one that we had um, last year has been what I call good bears. So those are bears that just leave the area, um, hear us coming, we say hello to them, the dogs do a, what I call a regroup, so I've got them all with me, the bears leave the area, and then we leave the area as well. Um, it's just about giving them space. But the moose encounters, um, I've had a few, we've had three in the 12 years that I've been doing this. So the first one was a moose with her calf um, and mama moose are quite dangerous to yeah. be frank. They, um, they are very protective of their calves. They really do not like dogs. Uh, they really don't like coyotes because that's what they, they're similar, right? So they don't like dogs because of coyotes. And what had happened is we were on a snow trail in the winter and we had accidentally come between the mom and the calf. So even though we were making noise, we did not see her. Um, and as we were coming through the trail, the dogs were closer to her calf than she would have appreciated. And she came out of the woods, um, legs blazing. Um, and the dogs, in that encounter, the dogs were surprised, so they were barking. Um, and in that encounter, that was about 2009. Um, so no dogs were hurt in the end. The moose wasn't hurt in the end. It did take me a little longer than I would have liked to gather the dogs because it was quite a high intensity situation. That was probably my first negative situation with wildlife. Um, but they did well. And then we learned from that. So then we learned that um, not to come between mamas and calves to be a little more observant for moose, which are surprisingly sneaky in the woods. Um, yeah, for how the, giant they are, they really are sneaky. 
oh my gosh, it's insane. Like they are quite quiet and they, they kind of blend in. The other encounter that we had with a moose um, was recent. It was probably three years ago. Um, and it was a moose that was in the forest that was completely camouflaged, could not see her. Um, and we were just walking along. And I remember seeing her out of my peripheral, just coming through the woods at me. And I actually had to put my hand out and managed to touch the moose as she went by me. Um, and she chased, she actually, she actually chased the dog. Um, the dog did not see her. She came out of the woods, chased them. Um, it was quite the scene. Um, and then I managed to see, she actually did have a calf way off in the woods further away. So she was just being proactive and like getting us out of there before the dogs even noticed her. Um, so that was a, that was a bad encounter. Cause I actually had a dog that got so scared that he ran off. Um, but he ended up back at the van, which was lovely. It's always quite nice when that happens. Um, exactly. It's like, you're very smart. You go back to the van. They always tend to return to where they last saw you or where they felt safe. Um, and, and so the, the big encounter, which I know you're probably um, expecting me to talk about is bear encounter. Um, yeah, if you're comfortable and, talking um, about that, I mean, that what a fucking thing. That's scary, <laughs> scary shit right there. Yeah, it was probably the most terrifying moment of my life um, was that bear encounter. So I, I, I don't mind talking about it. I can certainly touch on it. Um, so most bears that you encounter in the woods are bears that are just living their lives. They don't want anything to do with us. Um, if you come across a bear with cubs, you might get into a bit of an encounter with, with mama, um, but it's usually defensive, not predatory, which was the bear that we had encountered last year in May. Um, so what had happened was, I don't know if you want me to describe this encounter or. Yeah, I mean, whatever you're comfortable um, with, as much context as you want to give okay. it. Okay, so we were, um, we were on a trail that we were on quite often um a trail that I know very very well and we were walking through it doing our usual noise as we go having our usual hike everything was hunky-dory we had gone through to a lake and we're on our way back through where we already came um I was listening to some frogs uh enjoying the day we were walking through very very tight forest and without any warning there was all of a sudden a bear just I still to this day cannot figure out where it came from because we did not see it. We did not hear it. I had five dogs with me at the time and not one of them smelled it, heard it, nothing. Um, so when the bear initially came out of the woods, my Jack Russell mix um, backed him up by barking at him. So he backed up a few feet, which was great because it gave me enough room to get move out of the way and get up onto the main trail. Cause at this point we were in the trees. Um, and this bear was very, very close to me, like could feel his breath on me before Milka had backed him up. So we, the dogs were absolutely fantastic. They just stuck right with me. It was amazing. I was so proud of them. Um, the dogs that I had at the time were all dogs who have been with me for four years a piece. So we had quite a good relationship and I do believe that is what, what paid, what played a pretty big role in it. So we got up onto the main trail and at the time I remember thinking, why is this bear 
still following us. And at the time I thought maybe it's a mama with some cubs in the area because it was being quite persistent in following us down the trail, even though I was yelling at it and the dogs were barking and we were very much like, no, like, no, there, go away, doing everything that you're supposed to do if a bear is following you. Um, and at that point, I noticed that the bear was not deterred, which was strange for a bear. And so I started filming it because I didn't understand what I was seeing. So I wanted to be able to give it to conservation because I had already determined that this was a strange bear. Um, and so the bear ended up following us um, for about 15 minutes as we walked backwards. Um, my dogs were absolutely phenomenal. They all stayed behind me. They did bark at them, but they all stayed behind me. It was amazing. Um, I didn't even have to ask them to do that. They just naturally behind me. Um, and so we backed up and eventually the bear went off into a tree and I thought, okay, well, that's great. You've gone off in your tree. It must've been a mama. Cool. Took a picture of it up on the tree. It was great. Turned around, gave my dog a heck of a lot of praise, dished out some real good treats for that. Um, they were, I was so unbelievably proud at how they handled it, um, because bears that close are quite, quite a distraction and quite tempting for dogs to want to chase, um, or at least bunk at and run at. Um, so we turned around and we were proceeding to leave the area. We walked about a kilometer, so about 25 minutes later, and we were walking through an open field and I heard some crashing in the trees to my left. And when I looked, this bloody bear was full bore charging at me through the woods. Um, not at the dogs, but at me. So at that moment, um, I grabbed my bear spray because quick shout out for bear spray. If you're hiking in the woods, please, please carry bear spray and please carry it somewhere easily accessible because you will have, I'm telling you, one to two seconds to grab that bear spray. Um, so I did manage to grab my bear spray. I did discharge it. It was ineffective. I will tell you why after. So it was ineffective. As I was going to discharge it the second time and backing up, I actually tripped over a rock. Um, and so at that point, I was sort of preparing myself to be mauled um, because the bear was charging at me. And in that moment, my pit bull, Bane, um, leapt out in front of me. And basically, I call it took the bite for me. Um, so the bear ended up taking Bane, um, uh, and carrying him a few feet before they, before he dropped him and Bane was able to run a few more feet before the bear actually caught him again, um, and began mauling him. Um, at that point, <clears throat> at that point, um, I, <laughs> I don't remember thinking, I don't remember having any thoughts, but the next thing I knew I was on top of the bear with a log. Um, just quite frankly, beating the shit out of it, um, just wailing it in the nose because that's the most sensitive part of a bear and just screaming at it to let go of Bane. Um, the bear did drop Bane and Bane, I told Bane to run um, and Bane ran. And at that point, it was just me and the bear. Um, and that's probably the most scariest moment of my life was face to face with this bear, feeling its breath. And I just remember taking this primal stance and just like hunkering down and I screamed the most deafening scream I could muster and just started whacking the log against the trees to try to scare it away and for some reason that bear decided to turn around and retreat and I was able to 
get back up onto the main trail and gather Bane and the rest of the dogs and made it to the van um, to get him to veterinary safety. Um, at the time, the dogs, the other dogs, the other four dogs, were, it's, it's really quite interesting, actually, their behavior. They didn't run in. They didn't get involved. Um, they seemed to just watch. They were really observant. Um, one of the dogs, my sister's dog, who was quite nervous to begin with, uh, took off about 500 meters away and just kind of watched from farther away. He was quite scared. But the other three stood in the trees behind us and just watched and waited for me to tell them to do something. So as soon as the bear started turning around, I told them run and they ran. But they all waited for me. It was quite interesting. Um, in that perspective. I mean, they were barking, but they weren't running at the bear. It was really, it was interesting. And they didn't run away. It was, I'm still quite surprised by all of it. But um, yeah, it was, that was probably the worst encounter I've ever had. Um, and oh, statistically speaking. Fuck, girl, that is insane. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's something that I will never forget. It's something that is in my mind pretty constantly now. Um, I haven't been back to that trail uh, and I'm not sure when I will go back to that trail, which is really sad because it's one of my favorite trails. Um, but I definitely will probably take my time going back there. Um, but Bane sustained 22 bite injuries. Um, so those are full punctures. He had um, four drains put in uh, and then stitches and staples. Uh, took about four months of full recovery before he was back out in the woods. Um, to this day, he still has some scar tissue and some difficulty with his back. So we do uh, acupuncture and laser therapy for that. And he does have some lingering PTSD symptoms that I pick up on every once in a while. Um, so things like he flinches at noises in the woods. Um, dawn and dusk are quite hard for him because objects look darker in the woods. And I think he thinks it's the bear. Um, so we work on that with positive reinforcement, but um, yeah, it was definitely an encounter that statistically speaking is unlikely to happen again. Yeah. Predatory bears are a special kind of bear. Um, they're usually males, which this bear was, um, and they are distinctive in their behavior in that they're not deterred by anything they are they are set on coming um and so now that i know that i know i will know what to look for in bears in the future and be able to determine the behavior that we should take in that instance um so for that instance if i come across a predatory bear again it would have actually been beneficial if the dogs had chased bear so with predatory bears, you have to drive the bear away. Whereas with defensive bears, like a mother with cubs, you need to leave the area and back away and submit to the bear essentially. Um, because if you act aggressively towards say a mother bear, she will quite frankly, rototill you. Um, but for, as for a predatory bear, it's better to be aggressive to them to, t to deter them from coming. Because um, they're in like a hunting kind of stance. And the reason the bear spray did not work in that encounter was because I made a grave error in the morning. And unfortunately, I grabbed what I call my practice can. So that 
a bear spray canister that has already been discharged. So once you have used a bear spray canister, it is no longer considered usable. They are a one-time use. So I had already discharged it, which means it was depressurized. So the pressure in the can was not enough to actually, quite frankly, hit the bear and enough to actually deter the bear from doing anything. Had it been a full can, it most likely would have helped the situation and would have deterred the bear, but it was not, unfortunately. So now my biggest thing is reminding people that you need to check the expiry and you need to make sure that it's a fresh new can when carrying. Oh my God, girl, I was, I, I went to Costco. I bought like the value pack. I've got a bear spray. I got a bear spray for my mom. It's super easily to yeah. access. I know how to use it. I'm like, nah, yeah. I'm not mess right. It's so easy just to carry it. Right. Like it really is. And it blows my mind. Like we live in bear country in Kamloops. Like we have bears in our neighborhoods, in our city parks. Like it's, we have bears here and it still blows me away that people will use our parks that are in the city, but still have bears in them and not carry bear spray. They just think that because they're in the city, it doesn't matter. Um, but bear spray 98% of the time can and will save your life if you carry it. Um, it will deter bears. It's proven to deter bears. It can also be used for other wildlife like coyotes. Um, it's just, just carry the bear spray. Yep. <laughs> it's not very heavy. Just carry it, put it on your belt. I don't care. Just put it in your belt. Um, and, and definitely practice using it because that's one thing that a lot of people don't do is they don't practice with the can. So they're a little unfamiliar in, uh, carrying it and using it properly, um, and using it effectively. And also with just the motion of unholstering it, just even just practicing that motion can be really beneficial because in that situation, you can be nervous. And so it's important to kind of have that fluid motion of just knowing how to un unholster it and have it ready. And don't carry it in your backpack. <laughs> easily accessible. You need cookies, easily accessible, and bear spray. Those are the essentials. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, so um, just to follow up on, on the bear story, because I'm sure people listening are like, but wait, what? What else happened? So do you, you reported this to the, um, I don't know what they're called in Canada, like game wardens. Conservation. Here, but. We call them conservation officers up here. Okay. Um, which is kind of a conundrum, but um, they would be conservation officers is who I reported it to. So I did report it when I got home um, after we dealt with Ain as a vet. Um, because I knew that that was an uncommon occurrence and it needed to be reported, um, especially because that area is quite popular for hiking. And it's actually an area that the school district in my city uses for school field trips. Um, so there is quite a bit of human activity and children activity in the area. So it definitely needed to be reported. Um, the next day, conservation did go up to investigate and they had actually found that the bear had actually followed us out of the woods after the encounter so even though he had retreated he actually did follow us out um, right down to where my van was parked because they found fresh poop right at my van's location wow. um yeah so the bear was very very much coming for us um, they did find the bear in the same spot and because they had actually had additional reports of this bear being at the campground close by and not leaving the area, 
um, and because they determined that this was a predatory attack, um, they did euthanize the bear. Um, so he was humanely euthanized. Um, I was very much assured that he did not see it coming and was just happily munching on clover. So that's what I keep in my heart because I do, I feel terrible that a bear did have to lose his life, but at the same time, um, that's a bear that has the possibility to kill someone. And so it's, it, it was important to protect public safety at that point. Um, so they did, they did euthanize him. And um, so that's sort of the, how that ended. Um, it was covered quite extensively in the media. If you search my name, you will find it. <laughs> and you will be able to find the videos actually, which are quite, um, I do recommend you to watch the videos just because it does show predatory behavior. And so if you watch the video, you can familiarize yourself with what a predatory bear looks like. Um, so that is why I shared the video. So if you are interested in that, you can look those up um, and find them Dude, for it, that. It's I watched it several times. Yeah, it's, it's very intense. Um, you can hear me talking to myself and telling myself to just remain calm and just back away slowly. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it was intense and that's pretty much the only word I have for it still to this day. Um, we do, we did get uh, nominated, Bain did get nominated for the Purina Hall of Fame, which is an award up here in Canada um, for just hero dogs. Um, so he was on the running for this year, but because of COVID, they canceled it, postponed it to next year. So he will be in the running for that next year. Um, and we're hopeful that he, you know, gets that because uh, I probably would not be alive or very well would not be alive if he had not put himself in, in front of that bear for me. Um, and then me being crazy and going after the bear. <laughs> Don't do that. No, but it's like, it's it, instinctual, right? To like. <laughs> Oh, hundred percent was protect your your child, right? Like truly, yep. right? Oh my god! Yep, that was my baby. And I mean, when I talked to conservation the next day, like they definitely told me, like you're not supposed to do that. Um, they do not advise that you go after wildlife. Their their phrase verbatim was, "I should have let the bear have him." Um, and I was just like, "Well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard." and like not an option actually that's not the way that my world works but it really wasn't and 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 like i said like i said in the interviews and to myself like there was no thought it was i literally saw the bear run after bane grab him and the next thing i knew i was there with a log like there was no like oh i better grab this log and go chase after this bear it just all of a sudden that's what happened and it was purely instinctual and adrenaline and yeah, the officers asked me if I would do it again. I said, I really don't, can't answer that because it's just, there it was nothing to decide. It just happened. So I can't tell you if I would do it again or not because I can't tell you I would do it in the first place. Yeah, right. So. Oh my God. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I'm sure that it's probably hard yeah. to like relive that in some ways. But, you know, I think that for everyone listening, like, 
to your point, Ashley, like statistically speaking, what happened to you is very unlikely, but I think it's really yeah. important that everyone listening is up to date and aware of like, first of all, what is the wildlife that lives in your area? Like you need to know, yeah. you need to be privy to that, right? And, you know, yeah. knowing and watching for like, okay, this is what I need to do if there's a mama and cubs, if the bear is acting like exactly. this, like it's, it's our obligation, right? That like, if we want to be in the wild and we want to be out there with our dogs, we have to know this information. And if you don't know it, yeah. I don't think that you should be hiking dogs off leash, right? <laughs> like. Exactly. Yep. If you, if you do not know, <laughs> know what to do and don't know what to look for and and don't know how to help keep your dog safe, then you should not be walking your dogs off leash in the woods. Like, just don't do it. Stick to the trails in your own home. Stick to on leash. Um, because it's really important, and you owe it to the wildlife to be respectful and, and to know things and to mitigate that risk to wildlife. Because dogs are a risk to wildlife, and that's really important to admit and to take responsibility for. Um, and the same thing goes with recall. If your dog does not have a solid recall, um, then you should not have them off leash. You should be using a long line. Or if you're in an area where, like I've seen with you before, when you know there's a lot of deer in the area, you throw a long line on Waylon. And that, that's perfect. That's taking responsibility for it because then you're not putting them in that situation where something could happen. You're taking the steps to make sure that something's not going to happen. And that's just, that's the most important part is prevention. Prevention, prevention, prevention. Yeah, seriously. Well, and I think too, like that's why I share that all the time on my Instagram because I feel like people have this fictitious image, right? Of like, Waylon is just off leash all the time and it's all fine. And it's not, that is not reality. Is, can Waylon be off leash some places? Sure. But like large game, there's too much risk, right? There's, there's just too much Absolutely. risk. And like, I mean, to circle back to the moose story, right? Like Waylon, bless his heart and moose, it would not end well. It just wouldn't. And I know that, right? And I take that responsibility. Tiva, she saw a moose, I'd call her, she'd be like, okay, cool, let's go. So it's just a different dialogue, you know what I mean? But exactly. I think that's important that we all recognize, one, the wildlife in our area, and two, the realities of our dog's capacities when it comes to recall when faced with those wildlife. Exactly, yes. I have dogs in my group that if I start seeing a lot of deer sign, I will throw a long line on them because I know that they're more likely to have that drive and to chase. So I will prevent that by putting a long line on them because I know that dog and I know that it's a higher incidence for something to happen. If an encounter does happen, which sometimes it does, and there's things that, you know, if, if you want to be real about it, sometimes it does happen. And that's okay. Um, there's a lot of people who think that it's not okay. And I'm not talking about harassing wildlife to the point where they're like chasing it relentlessly and you're allowing your dog to do that. Um, I'm talking about the chance encounters where a deer runs by and your dog instinctually takes that quick run after them, but does come back. I wouldn't consider that harassing wildlife, but I would consider that something you don't want to happen. Um, but it's important to be realistic about it and understand that Sometimes it does happen, and as long as you're proactive, I think you're doing the right thing um, and focusing on that reinforcement and that recall and mitigating the risk. You're doing everything that you should be doing to be responsible off-leash hiking. Yeah, absolutely, right? And I feel like that's a point that I try and bring up, right? Like, obviously, we are not promoting harassing wildlife. Does it happen sometimes? Oh, yeah, sure. 
Sure. But if we're being proactive and we're doing everything in our power to prevent it from happening, I think that, you know, yes, is it scary for a deer to be chased? Sure. But I think that, you know, in the bigger scope of like deer, they get chased all the time. Right. So like, they really do. right. Right. So, you know, and I, I don't think we need to get, you know, into the ethics or anything, but yeah, right. Like there are realities, but we're doing our best to mitigate it. Okay. So um, I, I want to kind of wrap it up here, but I want to touch on a story that you posted recently of um, a, a mountain lion, a tree mountain lion. <laughs> yep. That was fun. Um, that was our second encounter with a cougar. Um, we've had two in my 12 years. Um, the first one was more of an actual encounter. The dogs were quite close to the cougar at the time. Um, we literally walked up on it while it was sleeping. So it was taking a daytime nap in the sand. We came up over the corner. It literally woke up and was like, oh my God, there's a whole bunch of dogs. But even though the dogs were right next to it, this cat still did not react aggressively. Um, it literally just retreated up into the hills and that was it. The dogs recalled and we left it. Um, this most recent one, uh, we were hiking and I was actually looking at owls to begin with because there was about four or five great horned owls in the trees. And I was like, well, that's really cool. I'm going to go take some pictures of these owls. Um, and then I started noticing the crows and I went, okay, well, there's obviously something either dead here, um, because birds tend to gather at dead things. Um, and then as I was scanning for the owls, I noticed that there was a cougar in the tree. Um, which was cool to see, uh, but at the same time, it was, we need to get out of the area. Um, the dogs did not notice that animal, which was great, so I kind of just got to look at it, and then we left the area. Cougars really do not like dogs, um, and I did speak to some cougar experts after, and they actually said that the cougar probably spent a couple hours in the tree after we left, um, just because they really don't like dogs that much, and um, try to avoid them at all costs. So everyone always kind of thinks you should be scared of cougars, um, but if you have dogs, not as much. They really don't like dogs. So, so that was cool. <laughs> that was more of a good encounter than anything. Yeah, seriously. Oh my God. Okay. So Ashley, if people want to connect with you, follow along, see all the beautiful pictures of the, the magnificent landscape and the happy dogs, how can they find you? They can find me on Facebook at Kamloops Urban Tales Pet Care, and they can find me on Instagram, which is where I post the videos and the stories every day at Kamloops Urban Tales. Oh my with God. With a Z. Okay, perfect. And I'll include a link to that in the show notes so people can find you. And if there's a yes. listener in your area, they can get on your waiting list. Absolutely, they can. I always have, I always have room on my waiting list, and I try to get people in as much as we can. I wish there was more than one of me, but um, it's something that I like doing on my own. And, and yeah, they can uh, follow along. And I'm always happy to chat about dogs. Um, there's lots of other things that um, we well, even do a follow-up because there's so many things that I didn't get to touch on for off-leash hiking, like coming across dead things, for example, um, all that kind of good stuff. So, oh my yeah. God, yes. Okay, we're doing a follow-up episode. So that, that's just that. So maybe, okay, so maybe let's do like, um, maybe I'll post like a questions, right? Like people have questions yeah. like, in addition to this and then we can address those questions and then we can talk more about other hiking with dogs things. So feel good about yeah, that? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, beautiful listeners. I will post a question and uh, a question thing on the Instagram and you can give them to us and we'll do a follow-up episode. Yes, thank you so much. That was so great. Thank you. 
thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about us, please check us out on Instagram at a good feeling underscore in co. You can also find us on Facebook at a good feeling dog training, as well as our website, agfdogtraining.com. Thank you.